0: National Guard Combat Field Studies Digital Edition. I'm Sergeant First Class, Aaron Heft, and today we're here with historian Joseph Seymour, the Army National Guard historian at the U.S. Army Center for Military History, Fort McNair. And we'll be talking about the 42nd division in World War I and their actions at Craw Rouge Farm. Mr. Seymour, for those who've not met you before, would you mind introducing yourself?
1: Uh, yes, um, I spent 10 years in the uh, Pennsylvania National Guard where I was an armored crewman uh, tanker I've also been at the U.S. Army Center of Military History uh, for 16 years, both as a contractor and uh, as a uh, government official on the general schedule. I specialize in uh, Army National Guard lineage and honors. For about the past five or six years, I've also shifted my focus to doing focused uh, battlefield studies, uh, staff rides.
0: That's quite a background. Sounds like you've got some experience in the history field. So we're going to talk about the 42nd Division today. Can you tell us what makes them so unique in World War I? 42nd
1: uh, Division, the, the famed Rainbow Division, is one of the storied divisions of the U.S. Army. And while we, we, don't, uh, we don't do a lot of firsts, lasts, and greatest, the 42nd Division, is, it really is uh, uh, special because it represented 26 states. 26 states contributed elements of their National Guard to comprise the uh, 42nd Division in 1917. There are various stories as to how it got its name, the Rainbow Division. One of the stories is that the various hues and all of the different state and regimental flags looked like the shades of a rainbow. Another story is that uh, in order to create this division it would have to stretch from one end of the rainbow to the other. But the, the 42nd is, is, a, is a great division too. It spent a lot of time in France, saw a lot of combat, and some of its units uh, such as the uh, Fighting 69th the 4th Alabama, as well as the 4th Ohio and and the 3rd Iowa were units which in and of themselves
0: had a great history. That's a pretty diverse background for one unit coming all across the country like that. Can you tell us how they got together and, uh, you know, what they did to prepare for combat? Yeah,
1: you know, of course, we, we declare war April 6th, uh, 1917, after the Germans bring in unrestricted U-boat warfare, also as a result of the Zimmerman telegram, and the The Army calls the National Guard into federal service, and then in August, August 5th, drafts the National Guard into service and orders various elements belonging to the states to concentrate at training camps. The 42nd Division organizes and begins to train at Camp Mills, New York. Various elements uh, travel by rail to the training camp, and uh, there is... There's a bit of friction at first, uh, as you have southern units such as the Fourth Alabama, which it, with its own proud history, um, meets uh, the 69th Infantry, in New York National Guard, and they see the, they see the harp and the, the Antietam and Gettysburg battle credits, and say, oh yeah, okay. But for the most part, apart from usual soldierly, uh, you know, disputes and and bragging rights, uh, the division comes together under General Menor, and they ship for France. Uh, they're actually they're one of the earliest divisions to arrive. And there's, there's a bit of a schism. There, there are references to National Guardsmen being you know, tin soldiers or strike breakers. Are they gonna really face the, the rigors of combat? Uh, so the, the National Guardsmen within the division wanna prove themselves. Uh, when, they get to, when they get to France, they go through the projected training cycle of the division. Now, not all National Guard divisions, not all National Army divisions have the option of going through this training cycle, but the 42nd Division does. Uh, They they go from training with English advisors, British advisors, then they go to training with French advisors. Then they're sent to a series of quiet sectors where they learn uh, the rudiments of trench warfare. They're sent first to the Baccarat sector, um, into the Lunayville sector, which the soldiers call Looneyville. And uh, it's there that they get into the, the, the tempo of fighting in a, in a trench, although it's a it's quiet tempo. So they have time to make mistakes and learn without it being fatal. This also gives uh, higher level officers, staff officers, as well as the field artillery, time to go to schools and become well trained. There's a great desire on the part of the French to make sure that uh, these divisions are going to be successful in combat that is after uh, the U.S. did not agree to have Americans fight as individual replacements. So they are in uh, the Luneville sector in the late spring of 1918 when the Germans launch their great offensives. Uh, and it's from there that they shift to Champagne during the German Operation marnschutz Rance, which is an attempt to envelop and, and capture the city of Rance, which is where our story really takes off. They had successfully defended with the French 4th Army, uh, less than a week before the assault on Croix-Rouge Farm. They were tired, they had suffered casualties as a result of that action. Then they board trucks and they travel miles around the salient, uh, where they come in to the relief of the 26th Division, the Yankee Division, which was comprised mostly of New England troops. They're also uh, encountering uh, reserve elements of the 28th Division, uh, the elements of the 56th Brigade, the 1, 111th and 112th Infantry, as they enter uh, the Forette de Fer. The, the goal, the, the objective of uh, General Hunter Linkett, uh, the Corps commander, is to actually assault up to the Vale River. The city of Fer en Tardinois is being contested at this point. There are a line of hills to the east of Fer en Tardinois that the Army considers vital targets. The 26th Division had also been uh, in combat for a, a long time uh, and was really worn out at this point. They had suffered high casualties. They had fought in uh, the Chemin de they were They were really worn out. And the 56th Brigade had had been leapfrogging all the way up about 20 kilometers from Chateau Thierry. So now it was the 42nd's turn. Their objective, as I said, was to advance along a line up to the Ork River Uh, which was a fair on Tardenois, and uh, they were placed in line uh, in in the forêt de faire. Now their first big objective was going to be a fortified farm. The Germans had very successfully fortified various farmsteads. Now these were stone farmsteads walled in and basically in a box uh, pattern. They were natural forts, and what the Germans had done uh, was they had basically mounted a weakened uh, machine gun battalion. About 27 camouflage machine guns were in place at croix Rouge Farm. Uh, there were heavy barbed wire entanglements. They had cleared fields of fire into the nearby woods, which were to the west and south, and marked the trees uh, with uh, white paint about waist high, creating uh, ref target reference points. About a kilometer behind croix uh, Rouge Farm was a German ammo dump. So their lines of resupply were were very close and and readily available. They also uh, had access to uh, indirect fire to support this. So this was a very strong German position, very typical of the battlefield in uh, Champagne. The Germans were going to slow the Allied advance with a series of these fortified machine gun positions. They were gonna prove to be very tricky, very costly targets to try to take out. Now, As I said, the 42nd Division arrives by truck in in line. Their main supply route is a single road from Chateau Thierry. That is also the main supply road for French divisions and for the 26th to 28th Division. So every division that's moving into line is using this road. So traffic jams are frequent, their congestion is high. Also, as a side note, the Allies did not have air superiority over the battlefield over the Marne and Champagne. So the Germans had committed two thirds of their combat air power, including the famed Flying Circus, which was uh, Baron von Richthofen's former unit. He had been killed already, but it was in the command of a young First Lieutenant, Hermann Göring, who would later achieve fame uh, or infamy as it was. Uh, So these were very good pilots and it was not uncommon for advancing Americans and advancing French troops to be strafed. So, Croix-Rouge Farm is not going to be an easy objective for the 42nd. This is all to underscore the fact that the 42nd had no sooner arrived in position uh, than they get orders to assault positions across into uh, Croix-Rouge Farm. Now, they are are situated behind a wood line, and as they are assembling, uh, the Germans, which have very good aerial reconnaissance, and very good battlefield preparation, they call it an artillery barrage. This makes things very difficult for the 42nd. Their supply line, as I said, is difficult. They're, the 117th ammunition train, which is responsible for providing them with, with ammunition, cannot or will not move uh, ammunition up. So machine gun ammunition, grenades, and 37 millimeter ammunition is in short supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make things worse, it's raining. As, as they're mounting their assault, a, a light rain uh, begins to turn to a steady rain as they're beginning uh, their assault. This makes visibility uh, very uh, you know, very poor. Uh, so they receive their, their order at about 1540. The Germans promptly uh, begin a barrage. As they begin their, their assault, their step-off time is 1650 hours. There's a tie of the 167th Infantry, the Alabama boys, and the 168th Infantry Iowa soldiers. Each one of these, com- there's a lead company, in the case of the 167th Company D, under the command of the, uh, John Powell. They move up, and as they move out of the tree line, they immediately come into, in, under the interlocking fields of fire, of 27 machine guns. As they move out, Captain Powell is killed instantly, shot through the head. Then uh, Captain Julian Strasburger, who's the machine gun company commander, He moves in, assesses the situation, realizes that he's got to reposition his machine guns for support fire. But as he is doing so, he is shot through the head. Lieutenant Wren of the machine gun company is able to move up and mount a 37 millimeter gun. But basically, as the infantry companies have moved out into the open, the rain has started to get harder. They're in a plowed field. It's muddy. It's wet. The soil is chalky and heavy. It's basically forming like a concrete around them and soldiers are getting shot down, and there's very little command and control for about an hour as they're taking casualties, they're trying to seek cover. At this point, the attack is really starting to fall apart, and we're really only at about just before 1800 hours. Various officers and NCOs step up, they take the position. Now, they understand if they fall back into the tree line, the Germans have that registered with artillery. The Germans have their own position registered with artillery. Uh, If they go back into the tree line, Uh, The elements of the 111th, 112th, and 101st infantry are already back there, so they can't actually occupy that space. On their left flank is a depleted French regiment, the 409th regiment, that is also trying to support this attack, so they cannot try to outflank the position, or else they're going to run into allied French soldiers who, in the poor visibility, will very likely commit fratricide on them. Uh, this is also something that you cannot do in World War I semi-linear warfare. You just simply cannot uh, move out and flank. You've got a very limited sector that you must maintain. So the question that I put to soldiers and to an infantryman is, you're pinned down, you're under direct fire, you can't move back, what do you do? The, these soldiers had no choice. The only sensible solution was to push forward. Now, as infantrymen, They had one option in their favor the bayonet two companies are quickly organized from the survivors under lieutenants bell and espy both of the 167. they take provisional companies put together companies of the survivors they assault from the west and from the north assaulting it from the west is a direct frontal assault from the north is a flanking assault so now the german machine gunners have to divide their fire between two assaulting columns who are assaulting over about 400 yards of space. The two attacks are fairly successful. Using the bayonet, using hand-to-hand combat, they are able to overwhelm and defeat the 27 machine gun positions which have no other choice but to displace or avoid capture. They are actually captured and by about 2,000 hours, the position is silenced. That means that the the attack goes off at 1650, so in a little under four hours, This barb has been silenced, and and the line of the 84th Brigade is able to move up. The 83rd Brigade, which is in reserve, is able to uh, take up their position slightly to the north of the 84th Brigade. Just to add, this was not without high cost. The 84th Brigade took almost 1,000 casualties in four hours. Just just by way of comparison, during this campaign, uh, which was going to last another week, the division took a little over 5,000 casualties. So one in five soldiers killed in this campaign from the 42nd was killed in these four hours. The 42nd division took a little over 12,000 casualties during the war. So one in 12 soldiers is a casualty at Quail Farm. Now, uh, after Quail Farm, the 42nd still has the objective, they've basically taken over the 26th division's sector and they still have the objective of driving to the Ork River, and pushing the Germans in a line back. Now, one thing that the, the French and the British have learned in almost four years of combat is that you do not fail to consolidate any gains you make in this war. Previous combat in, in World War I was characterized by a breakthrough uh, that was then never properly exploited. General Foch, uh, the Supreme Allied Commander, and General Pétain, the ranking French general, were painfully aware of what needed to be done. And regardless of high casualties, regardless of losses, the Germans had to be pushed back. So their first objective was the Ork River, which was commanded by a line of hills anchored around the towns of Ferrand and tardenois To do this, they were first forced to overcome various fortified farms and German positions, but they were able to do this between the 31st of July and the 1st of August when they're finally taken out of the line. The uh, 42nd would go on, they would take their objective on the Orc River, and later during the Muzargon offensive, they would be called in again, and they would take the Côte de Châtillon, yet another fortified farm, and they would continue to push north all the way to the armistice. So this was a division that would see a lot of combat, a lot of fighting, and would take a lot of ground in its time in France.
0: So they're one of the first divisions over. You know, They cut their teeth on the Marne, they, they fight across the Ork River and all the way to the end on November 11th. That's a pretty incredible story. I mean, it's, it's really unique in the Guard too. So if I'm a soldier in the 42nd or, or any National Guard division really, and I wanna know more about my unit's history, where can I go to find more out? Is there, is there a place that has all these resources?
1: Yes, uh, CMH does support military training and uh, army staff rides. For those who are interested, we do try to maintain a lot of uh, backing material. Uh, here actually is a, a great way if you wanna read off on uh, the fighting at the Marne, the fighting that I just described. We maintain campaign uh, pamphlets that are very portable, uh, so they're good things to have in your cargo pocket. If you visit us at history.army.mil, you can see about a lot of the services that CMH provides. If you're interested in the history of your current unit, you can look through the uh, lineages that we have or contact us directly. We also are uh, working to open the Army Museum uh, quite soon.
0: So you've mentioned your involvement in a staff ride program. Can you tell us about these trips you take to France and, and what they're like?
1: Oh, of course, yes. Well, we, we support the uh, National Guard Training Division uh, in providing staff rides to France. Uh, it's a great way for soldiers to connect with their history, Virtually uh, every single National Guard division that fought in World War I is perpetuated in some way in today's National Guard. And it is a great way for us to take soldiers to the actual battlefields where they fought. And when we do, we will take you there. We can walk you through these battles. We can take you through each step in the Battle of Coles Rouge Farm, the Battle for Femme, uh the Gun, Depending on where your division, where your battalion was, we can take you to that spot, walk you over the ground, and give you a lot of uh, training that you can take away and apply to your current military education. We strongly value military education. This is really part of our chartered uh, mission.
0: You know I'm a bit partial to the program. Uh, Back in 2019, I was there with CMH at Craw Rouge Farm. You know, I stood there on that ground, saw saw what was left of the buildings and the and the bunkers and the positions, and you know heard those stories from from the historians of what the 42nd Division went through right there where where it occurred. Um, you know, it was, it was an incredibly inspiring experience. Well, thank you, Mr. Seymour. Thanks again for coming out. Uh, is there anything else you want to add before we go today? No,
1: just thank you for this program. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to get the word out to, to our
0: soldiers. Thanks again. And if you're interested in learning more about Army National Guard history or uh, leader development within the Army National Guard, keep following us here on Leaders Recon on Facebook or check out our Instagram page at ARNG underscore leader underscore development. We'll be featuring periodically history of different National Guard units, leader development opportunities across the force and different programs that we offer out of the National Guard Bureau. Thanks again uh, and we'll see you soon.